The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World... This should not stop you from going about your life, should not stop you from going to Chinatown and going out to eat. Come to Chinatown. Here we are. We're, again, careful, safe. Come join us. Roosevelt came up with a thing uh, that, uh, you know, was totally different than a than the... the it's called, he called it the, you know, the World War II. He had the War, the, the war Production Board. We'll be invoking the Defense Production Act just in case we need it, and it can do a lot of good things if we need it. So we will be invoking the Defense Production Act. The president said it was a hoax. They minimized the seriousness of it. We put on a ban of China where China can't come in. And before March, we put on a ban on Europe where Europe can't come in. So how could you say I wasn't taking it seriously? Hi, this is Newt. Due to the virus, I'm recording from home. So you may notice a difference in audio quality. I'm going to explore is the correct assertion that because of Donald Trump's failure, 200,000 Americans have died of COVID? Or is the correct assertion that because Donald Trump moved early and aggressively, over 2 million Americans are alive today who would have died if he had followed the advice of Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and others? This is one of the most important questions the American people need to explore and reach a decision about in the next few weeks. The fact is that at a very early date, the president was advised by key public health figures that we had to move decisively or over 2.2 million Americans would die. The president moved very decisively. When he moved decisively, people on the left, Biden, Pelosi, Harris, and others, 
all attacked him. Some ridiculed him because they said he was doing too much, too fast, or wasn't that big a threat. And when you look back, you realize that had we followed the Biden-Harris-Pelosi model, we probably would have lost five or six or seven times as many Americans. So let's put this in context. Let's look at the facts. And I think you'll see how big the difference was between what President Trump did and what his opponents would have done. Remember that this all starts in China. This is a Chinese virus, despite all the politically correct efforts to get away from it. Just as, by the way, a decade earlier, H1N1 was a virus, which Joe Biden mishandled terribly when he was vice president. If you compare Vice President Biden's epidemic experience with Vice President Pence's epidemic experience, you'll see the difference. Biden was incompetent, and in fact, his own top aide has said publicly in forums that they just blew it. So in this case, back in December, the Chinese doctor began warning people that something was going on in Wuhan, that there was a SARS-like disease going around, and he was suppressed by the Chinese government. It was back in late December when Lee first warned friends on WeChat about a SARS-like disease going around. Lee sent a group message saying that a test result from a patient quarantined at the hospital where he worked showed a patient had a coronavirus. But hours after hitting send, Wuhan City health officials tracked Lee down, questioning where he got the information. Within days, they closed the suspected source of the virus, this seafood market, and they announced the outbreak. But instead of being praised, Lee got a call from Wuhan City Police. Because they didn't want anyone to think about it or talk about it. The Wuhan City Police were sent to visit him. Another Chinese whistleblower, a virologist, said there were over 40 cases before the end of December. And that that information would have potentially stopped coronavirus from spreading to other countries. But in fact, the Chinese government kept hiding it. Our government already knows that before the end of December, there are over 40 people get infected, but not as they mentioned, like 27. And also, most importantly, there are human-to-human transmission. By January 3rd, the Center for Disease Control Director Robert Redfield was warned by his Chinese counterpart of the possibility of a Chinese virus. So he notified Secretary of Health and Human Services Alex Azar, who immediately started to create a team in the White House. Notice, immediately started to create a team. At that point, in mid-January, they began talking about, would we need a travel ban? And the travel ban was very controversial, both from the standpoint that some epidemiologists don't think it works, and from the standpoint that some people thought it was going much too fast. On January 27th, and let's get this clear for all of the things that Joe Biden says that are just plain not true. On January 27th, Biden writes an op-ed for USA Today and says the following, quote, I remember how Trump sought to stoke fear and stigma during the 2014 Ebola epidemic. He called President Barack Obama a dope and incompetent and railed against the evidence-based response our administration put in place, which quelled the crisis and saved hundreds of thousands of lives in favor of reactionary travel bans that would only have made things worse. I'm going to repeat this one line from January 27th in USA Today by Joe Biden, who said, reactionary travel bans would only have made things worse. The next day, Ron Klain, who was 
Biden's chief person dealing with these kind of diseases said the ban is, quote, premature. Would you ban Chinese travelers from arriving in the United States? I wouldn't. I think that's premature. On January 30th, Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel on CNBC, and Emanuel is one of the key advisors to the Democratic Party on health care, tells Americans they should, quote, take a breath and stop panicking. Everyone in America should take a very big uh, breath, slow down and stop uh, panicking and, and being hysterical. On January 31st, the campaign event in Iowa, Biden calls Trump's China travel ban xenophobic. So listen to Biden in his own words. Coronavirus emanated from China. A national emergency, you know, worldwide alerts. The American people need to have a president who they can trust what he says about it, that he is going to act rationally about it. In moments like this, this is where the credibility of a president is most needed, as he explains what we should and should not do. This is no time for Donald Trump's record of hysteria, xenophobia, hysterical xenophobia. And the following day, he doubles down. When he tweets out, quote, we're in the midst of a crisis with the coronavirus. We need to lead the way with science, not Donald Trump's record of hysteria, xenophobia, and fear mongering. He is the worst possible person to lead our country through a global health emergency. Now, notice this becomes one of the big arguments, because while it's clear in this paragraph, Biden is talking about coronavirus, he claims that when he said xenophobia, he wasn't really referring to the ban on travel from China. The following day, February 2nd, President Trump puts together a ban on travel from China. And it takes a while for it to totally work because there are a substantial number of American citizens who have the legal right to come home even after the ban. But clearly, as of February 2nd, Trump was already moving. On February 3rd, the World Health Organization's Director General opposed the ban. Remember that the World Health Organization is very close to the Chinese Communist Party. And the head of it said, There is no reason for measures that unnecessarily interfere with international travel and trade. We call on all countries to implement decisions that are evidence-based and consistent. So notice, the World Health Organization is telling everybody not to worry at a point when we now know in retrospect there's a worldwide pandemic beginning to build. By February 24th, Speaker Nancy Pelosi encourages people to visit Chinatown. Don't just take my word for it. Here's Speaker Pelosi. Come to Chinatown. Here we are. We're, again, careful, safe, and come join us. By February 29th, Trump addresses the nation after the first COVID death. At this moment, we have 22 patients in the United States currently that have coronavirus. Unfortunately, one person passed away overnight. Now, people are coming to grips with this. They're not quite sure exactly what to do. And on March 8th, Dr. Fauci says people do not need to be wearing masks walking around. Here is Dr. Fauci himself. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, Wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. 
So people are really wrestling with this. And the president is trying to follow the best possible medical and epidemiological advice. But even that advice is starting to change, as you can see with Dr. Fauci. By March 12th, Joe Biden releases his COVID-19 plan, which actually looks pretty plagiarized from the Trump campaign. One decisive public health response to curb the spread of the disease and to provide treatment to those who need it, and a decisive economic response that delivers real relief to American workers, families, and small businesses, and protects the economy as a whole, are offered as a roadmap, not for what I will do as president 10 months from now, but for the leadership that I believe is needed and required at this very moment. And it turns out that much of what he's describing is, in fact, precisely what the president is doing. By March 13th, the New York Times released a CDC prediction that 200,000 to 1.7 million people could die. This is actually a lower number than an Oxford University prediction that it could be 2.2 million. So the president is trying to react to a risk that we could be facing the death of somewhere between 200,000 and 1.7 million people. And I would argue that you can make a very good case that there are at least a million and a half Americans alive today, despite the Center for Disease Control prediction, because President Trump moved quickly. And frankly, had Governor Cuomo and Governor Murphy not done amazingly destructive things, killing thousands and thousands of senior citizens, the death rate would be substantially lower because those two states, New Jersey and per capita deaths and New York and total deaths, clearly are outliers given by very bad policy by two liberal democratic governors. Hi, this is Newt. I want to invite you to sign up for a yearly subscription to my Inner Circle Membership Club. We're in a critical time in our history where the outcome of the next election will set us in a course of two very different American futures. As a member of my inner circle, you'll receive exclusive invitations to join my video conferences with 2020 election updates and my analysis of the upcoming presidential debates. Here's a special offer for my podcast listeners. Join my inner circle today at newtsinnercircle.com and if you sign up for a one or two year membership, you'll receive a limited edition Inner Circle Challenge Point, exclusive to 500 members only as part of your membership welcome package. And as an Inner Circle member, you'll receive an invitation to attend my members only event, Live with Newt, a discussion on the next presidential debate. And there are many other benefits of membership. Sign up for a one or two year membership today at NewtsInnerCircle.com. That's NewtsInnerCircle.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you... Here on Next Question, it's going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. March 13th, Trump declares a COVID-19 emergency. To unleash the full power of the federal government in this effort today, I am officially declaring a national emergency. On the 17th, Governor Cuomo's positive about President Trump. I spoke to the president this morning again. Uh, He is ready, willing, and able to help. At that point, remember, Cuomo's beginning to panic because the Hospital Association in New York does not want people with COVID in the hospitals. He's going to send them to nursing homes, the worst possible thing, but it frankly made the lobbyists for the Hospital Association happy. And 
at that time, it looked like they might not have enough equipment to be able to take care of everything. They might not have enough ventilators. They might not have enough hospital beds. Now, at that point, the Chinese, by March 22nd, begin spreading total disinformation, which is part of what's infuriating. First, that the disease originated in Wuhan, China. Second, that the Chinese blocked experts from coming to see and learn about the disease in an early and timely way. And third, they then have begun attacking and claiming it didn't start there. On March 22nd, the Chinese TV reported An Italian medical expert says the coronavirus may have circulated in Italy before the outbreak in China. It's just plain a lie. And it's typical of what we're dealing with with the Chinese all the way through. By March 25th, Governor Cuomo sent 6,300 recovering COVID patients to nursing homes. And there they will infect others. And the estimate is the Governor Cuomo, by taking care of the hospital association, probably killed six to 12,000 senior citizens who otherwise might have been alive. By March 30th, Dr. Burke says, doing everything perfect could still lead to 200,000 deaths. If we do things together well, almost perfectly, we could get in the range of 100,000 to 200,000 fatalities. Now, the reason I think that's important is when you have this scale of a pandemic, we're going to suffer losses. And the question is, did President Trump's actions contribute to those losses or did President Trump's actions actually contain the losses? I would argue that, in fact, President Trump probably saved between a million, 500,000 and 2 million Americans. Dr. Brooks goes on to point out that the virus is going to go everywhere. And not just coming in New York, or not just coming in New Jersey. And again, here's Dr. Burks in her own words. No state, no metro area will be spared. About that point, Biden's deputy campaign manager backtracks Biden's statements from him, claiming, quote, Joe Biden supports travel bans that are guided by medical experts, advocated by public health officials, and backed by a whole strategy. Science supported this ban, therefore he did too. Now remember, this is exactly the same guy who was ridiculing the ban earlier, calling it xenophobic. By May 15th, President Trump is implementing Operation Warp Speed. He has already reached out to the private sector. We're beginning to ramp up production of every single thing you need to cope with the disease. We're beginning to be the arsenal of creating health products and beginning to really develop an amazing range of American responses. Whereas we thought at one point, people would run very short of certain kinds of medical equipment, Within a few months, we produce so much, we're being to send it all around the planet. Part of that's because the president not only developed Operation Warp Speed, which was aimed at finding a vaccine, but in addition, he also invoked the Defense Production Act. And I think it's worth just listening to the president as he implements Operation Warp Speed. We have the mightiest military in the long history of humankind. We have the best and most devoted workers ever to walk the face of the earth. And now we're combining all of these amazing strengths for the most aggressive vaccine project in history. And then notice that in the same frame of reference, he's moving down the road towards the Defense Production Act to allow us to really contract and develop and moving back from China, the production of things we had concluded we couldn't rely on China for. With this new agreement, my administration is using the Defense Production Act to provide a 765 million dollar loan 
to support the launch of Kodak Pharmaceuticals. By July 28th, Dr. Fauci has decided that masks are necessary. I'm referring to them now as the fundamentals. And the fundamentals are not rocket science. It's universal wearing of masks, avoiding crowds, close the bars. And the point of this is, it's not that Fauci was necessarily wrong. Things were changing. People were learning. And I think it's very important to recognize that when you say it, talk to the president about science, he's listening to these scientists and these medical doctors all the way through. Their advice is also changing as they learn more. By July 30th, Dr. Fauci says clearly that the president's decision actually saved lives. But here, listen to him describe on his own what he thought. Do you agree with that decision? I do. Do you think that decision saved lives, Dr. Fauci? Yes, I do. Do you agree with the decision uh, when ultimately we saw spread in Europe and then the president recommended that we extend that to Europe? Did you participate in that discussion? I was actively involved in that discussion, sir. Do you agree with that decision? Yes, I do. Do you think that decision saved lives? Yes, I do. Eventually, then, we saw the United Kingdom have an outbreak, and there had to be a tough decision made. Do we extend that to the United Kingdom? Were you part of that decision? I was. And do you agree with that decision as well? I do. Did that decision save lives? Yes, it did. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. 
I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now Lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Biden had opposed, Pelosi had opposed, Harris had opposed, the president's travel ban when he put it down. But as the situation got worse, all of a sudden the Democrats decide they have to rewrite history. So here is the national press secretary for the Biden campaign giving you the new version of reality, which was that Biden never said the things Biden said. Let me just clarify. You're saying that Joe Biden was for closing down travel from China when the president did it? Uh, Joe Biden has been clear, and I can send you the fact checks if they're helpful, Brett. Joe Biden has been clear that he was not against that travel ban. But he was for it? Joe Biden has been clear about this, Brett. I, again, I can, send, I can send you the fact checks if they're helpful. This has been fact checked into oblivion. It's important to remember at this point, as Biden is beginning to rewrite the historical record, pretending that he had never said he was against the travel ban, he had never said it was xenophobic, et cetera, that this is typical. Because when Biden himself was vice president, when he had a job exactly parallel to Vice President Pence's job, he was a disaster. And Ron Klain, who worked with him and is close to him and supports him, said it was purely fortuity that H1N1 was not one of the great mass casualties of our time. 60 million Americans got H1N1 in that period of time. But listen to Klain himself, both describing the scale of it and then describing how everything they had done had not worked and that Biden was simply a failure at dealing with this epidemic. Uh, I just had a couple things. I mean, I I was in the White House in 2009, 2010. I was working for Vice President Biden. I wasn't involved directly in the H1N1 response, but I I lived through it as a White House staffer. And what I will say about it is uh, a bunch of really talented, really great people working on it, and we did every possible thing wrong. And it's, you know, 60 million Americans got H1N1 uh, in that period of time. And it's just purely a fortuity that this isn't one of the great mass casualty events in American history had nothing to do with us doing anything right. It just had to do with luck. Uh, and so if anyone thinks that this can't happen again, uh, they don't have to go back to 1918. They just have to go back to 2009, 2010. 
imagine a virus with a different lethality, and you can just um, do the math on that. So the question is very simple. When you look back over this year, this very challenging, very difficult year, and you realize that the president was being advised that there would be potentially a million and a half dead, according to the Center for Disease Control, potentially over 2.2 million dead based on a study in Great Britain. And he reacted decisively and aggressively. He reacted to help New York City, both by sending a Navy hospital ship with 900 beds, by having the Army set up four field hospitals, and by having the Corps of Engineers build out the convention center to handle another 1,200 beds. And by the way, we created so many beds in New York City that almost none of them were used. But the president was responding to the danger of a massive catastrophe, the opposite of what Obama and Biden had done. So you end up, I think, with a history that's very clear. President Trump reacted early, reacted based on scientific and medical advice, took very decisive steps, including closing down what had become the best economy in American history, felt that that was necessary to save lives, and did everything he could to accelerate production, both of the therapeutic equipment we use today and of the various vaccines that we hope will decisively defeat COVID. I think the president's view is that we have to fight the virus, not be afraid of the virus. Where Biden wanted to hide in the basement and do nothing, the president felt as Americans, we had to stand up and enter the battlefield of defeating the virus in every possible way, from social isolation to getting the right kind of therapies. And the therapies have improved dramatically over the last few months, so that the virus is going to be less and less of a mortal threat and more and more of a manageable problem. And in that setting, the combination of hypocrisy and hysteria, both in the news media and in the Biden-Harris campaign, I think is just astounding. And I think the question offered the American people should be, do you want the guy who probably saved a million and a half to two million lives? That's Donald Trump. Or do you want the guy who failed at the beginning of this crisis, who took the wrong positions, would have allowed travel from China to continue, would have allowed many more Americans to die. And I think that's a huge, real challenge. So I hope by allowing you to hear people in their own voices, I hope you can see how dishonest the attack on the president is. This president didn't have 200,000 Americans die because he failed. 200,000 Americans tragically died despite the most aggressive action we've seen, action that was vastly stronger than anything that Biden did when he was the vice president. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.